goal on the ERLC podcast is to help you think biblically about today's cultural issues. As we discuss important topics that matter to Southern Baptists, you might have additional questions. We'd love to hear from you. Please email us at erlcpodcast at erlc.com and let us know how you're processing the conversations featured on the podcast. And just a reminder, we want to make sure you're kept up to date about the important work the ERLC is doing on behalf of Southern Baptists. The best way to do that is by joining us at erlc.com backslash updates. Signing up for email updates allows you to hear directly from us about our work and the ways we're serving you on the issues that matter most to Southern Baptists. Become an email subscriber at erlc.com backslash updates. That's erlc.com backslash updates. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. How Southern Baptists have spoke to this. Have spoke? How Southern Baptists have spoke to this. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me this week, sitting in for Brent Leatherwood, is our colleague who should just be considered an honorary co host uh, <laughs> from here on out is Hannah Daniel. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Lindsay. Good to be with you this week. We're glad that you're here and we'll be face-to-face next week because we're having a staff retreat and some other things going on. So we're excited for that. Yeah, excited to be with everybody. Yeah, how are things going in D.C.? Is it, are the cherry blossoms happening? Is it cold? What's the deal there? Yeah, so March is like really all over the place here in terms of weather. Like there was a day a couple of weeks ago that was 75 degrees, so warm. I went out on a super long walk because things are starting to bloom. But then today it's like 30 degrees and there's 40 mile an hour winds. It's freezing. So gross. So yeah, the the cherry blossoms are scheduled to bloom. Peak bloom is like a really big deal here. Like all of the news like outlets report on it. So like the National Park Service comes out with the peak bloom predictor, the like Washington Post, like all of these different organizations come out with peak bloom predictors. And they're all saying it's going to be next week because you kind of think like maybe the cherry blossoms bloom for like a while, um, but they really only bloom for like a, a week-ish. So it's really hard to time out when it's going to be and it'll be like, it depends on the weather and all of that. So the cherry blossoms are supposed to bloom next week. They're going to be really beautiful. My favorite though, actually, is a tree called the Saucer Magnolia. It's like a magnolia tree, but it has these really beautiful, like pink blooms and they have been blooming the last couple of weeks. So that's my favorite. I've gone to see them quite a bit. So fun. I wonder what the story is behind the cherry blossoms. Are they native to that area or did they plant them with the, do you know the story? You're shaking your head like you do. I don't know it fully, but I know that they were a gift from Japan. Oh, okay. Um, I think maybe a hundred-ish years ago symbolizing unity, friendship, all of those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. there's a whole like cherry blossom festival. It's a big deal. Yeah, that makes it even more interesting. I'll have to go look mm-hmm. that up on the old Google after this, <laughs> after our podcast. What was life like before Google? Well, encyclopedias, which you probably never had to use. Did you ever use oh, encyclopedias? Yeah. Like doing research reports, like, uh-huh. oh, like yeah. elementary school, middle school, would have to go to the library, check out the encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I did that. I kind of miss those days. Those were fun to use. But anyway, now we have an, an 
all access encyclopedia 24 seven. And so I'm going to look up those cherry blossoms. But before (laughs) I do that, I want to talk with you about something that's been in the news and that's the equal rights amendment. And you can explain to us, we're going to ask some different questions about it and explain it to us. It sounds like a good thing, but it's not so much. So tell us, what is the Equal Rights Amendment? Yeah, so the Equal Rights Amendment, or ERA for short, is an amendment to the U.S. Constitution that would clarify that men and women have, quote-unquote, equal rights throughout the United States. And this amendment was actually first introduced 100 years ago into Congress in 1923, and then an amended version of that passed in 1972. So this is when you really heard a lot about the ERA was in the 1970s. And you probably have heard of a woman named Phyllis Schlafly, who really um, kind of rose up and led resistance against the ERA, exposing why, you know, it, it sounds like, yeah, equal rights for men and women, like that sounds super great. Um, but she kind of led the beginnings of exposing maybe why it would not be as great as we might think. And so it passed both houses of Congress in 1972. So after it passes Congress, the constitution requires that it then be ratified by three fourths of the states. And they set a deadline for that to happen, um, which was March, 1979. Um, But then between 1972 and 1977, 35 states ratified the amendment, but then five later rescinded the earlier ratification, um, one of which your home state, my home state, uh, Tennessee. So by the time the 1979 ratification deadline came, the amendment was still three states short. And so um, Congress then extended the ratification deadline to 1982, and at that point still did not have three-fourths of the states having ratified it. So the ERA was never actually added to the Constitution. And so it kind of has just been like pretty dead for a while. But then in recent years, there's been a move from some mostly on the political left to kind of resurrect this and say, because in the last couple of years, three additional states have ratified this. And so they're saying the deadline doesn't really matter. We have the states we need. Congress should just move to say that, that the deadline's not important and add it to the Constitution, which is, is problematic for a lot of reasons. But that's kind of just a, a brief little history of kind of what the ERA is, why you probably have heard about it in the past, and then why it kind of has come back now. So it's sounding good at the outset, meaning that men and women have equal rights under the Constitution. Why is it harmful, particularly to women? Yeah. So there's a few reasons. And so specifically for women, it would eliminate distinctions based on sex and effectively erase sex segregated spaces, which often are created to protect women. So things like women's shelters and prisons where women are held separately from men, even things such as like the draft would likely be deemed unconstitutional and that women are excluded from that. So a lot of the the ways that our um, systems and structures have been created to separate men and women, um, those actually serve to protect women in a lot of ways. And I think another area we could think about would be like women's sports. If we want women to not have to compete with men, something like the Equal Rights Amendment could actually make that really difficult and, and problematic legally. 
And so it really does serve to erase a lot of the gains and progress that women have made in sex segregated spaces over the last, you know, 100 years. And so even though it sounds like, yes, we want equal rights for women, it really doesn't actually serve women or give them rights that they don't already have. In your explainer, you also talk about how this has implications for areas like life, uh, religious liberty, and other areas of human dignity. So can you talk about those a little bit? Yeah. So first on the issue of life, this is something that pro-abortion advocates have really even been very forthcoming about recently. Um, So back in the 70s, you know, they would say, no, this is just about women's rights. It's not about anything else. But now in a in a post-Dobbs world, a lot of pro-abortion advocates have really latched onto the ERA as a way to undo the Dobbs decision last summer. And so their argument is that part of women having equal rights would include a right to abortion. And that would, um, if this was adopted as a constitutional amendment, override all of the pro-life state laws that have been able to be enacted since the Dobbs decision. And it would even include overruling things like restrictions on partial birth or third trimester abortions that we've even been able to have pre-Dobbs. So this would really be a huge setback in terms of the kind of restrictions we're able to have on abortion and would really establish an abortion on demand kind of regime in America. In addition to that, it could require taxpayer funding for abortions by eliminating the Hyde Amendment and kind of that whole family of what we call the pro-life riders that are attached to appropriations every year. The Hyde Amendment is what protects millions of consciences of American taxpayers who don't want their taxpayer dollars to be used for abortion. And the ERA could um, undo the legitimacy of those riders. Also, in that kind of vein of conscience protections, religious liberty, it could eliminate any conscience protections for medical professionals who don't want to participate in abortions or things like gender transition procedures. The ERA could eliminate the laws and protections that we have that um, allow those professionals to say, no, my conscience, my um, deeply held religious beliefs, they do not permit me to participate in that. So a lot of really concerning aspects that are often kind of overlooked in the name of equal rights, um, but there really is so much more to it than that. So you, this builds on what you were just saying at the end of that question and your answer to that question. Uh, but just to reiterate to people to understand why this matters in everyday life, talk about how this might affect people in different sectors of their life, church, school, work. So you mentioned Title IX and athletics for women, and you mentioned women's prisons and things like that. And just help us to think through that again, why it matters for our everyday life. Yeah, just as you're saying, um, across all areas of our life, whether that's at school or vulnerable women in shelters or for women in prison, all of those areas have spaces that are dedicated for women at school, it could be a locker room or sports team or whatever that might be. And um, those spaces would not be able to exist. And so men and women would have to be integrated in a way that could actually be really harmful for those women. And for people in our churches, Christians who work in the medical profession or are pharmacists or doctors or nurses or whatever that might be, 
they would be facing going into their workplaces without the same protections that they've had previously um, when it comes to conscience and religious liberty. Um, So this is something that would have a really big impact. And I want to be upfront and and say that we don't anticipate that this is going to pass. We don't think there's going to be the votes for this. Often, time after time, constitutional scholars and judges have rejected this attempt to resurrect it as unconstitutional. This is not something we anticipate coming into law, but we do think that it's important to know about it and to know why it's problematic um, so that if there ever is a time where that is becoming more likely, we're prepared to speak against that. And the reason this has come up in the news recently is that the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is the the committee that holds jurisdiction over this kind of thing, um, held a hearing on the Equal Rights Amendment for the first time since 1984. And we are anticipating that sometime during the month of March, um, the full Senate will hold a vote on this um, resolution for the first time in quite a long time. And so again, we don't expect it to pass, but it still is really significant that this hearing has happened, that a vote is likely. Um, So this is certainly something that has not gone away and um, we wanna be prepared to speak to that. What is the ERLC doing about this? Yeah, so this is something that the ERLC is highly engaged in. Following the hearing a few weeks ago, we um, spoke out against ERA, and we also have been um, communicating these concerns to lawmakers ahead of the anticipated vote later this month. And so we are trying to make sure lawmakers understand that the ERA is not about equal rights. It really is about abortion. It's about religious liberty. It's about all these other things in protecting women. And so we want lawmakers and culture broadly to know that we we support women. We want women to be valued and to be able to live out whatever way God has called them. And the Equal Rights Amendment is not beneficial towards that. It actually is, is detrimental towards it. I just wanted to highlight a couple articles on our site that we have had up for a little bit that shows the value of women that, like you mentioned, Hannah, in this day and age in our culture, being against something like the Equal Rights Amendment can lead to a lot of misinformation being spread on social media when people don't rightly understand that it's that the Equal Rights Amendment is detrimental in so many ways and is detrimental to women, is not serving them and valuing them and upholding their dignity as it should be. And so we have, of course, which will be in the show notes, we have an article by Rebecca McLaughlin, and she wrote a book about uh, confronting Christianity. And one of the arguments that she deals with is basically, do the Gospels, does Jesus value women? And she talks about how the Gospels show that Jesus values women. And she says, the portrayal of women in the Gospels, particularly in Luke's Gospel, is stunningly countercultural. Luke constantly pairs men with women, and when he compares the two, it's almost always in the woman's favor. And then at the very end, she goes through different examples. At the very end, she says, Jesus's valuing of women is unmistakable. In a culture in which women were devalued and often exploited, it underscores their equal status before God and his desire for personal relationship with them. And of course, we at the ERLC affirm that. And as believers, we affirm that. We seek to live that out. We seek to uphold women's equal status before God. 
and their equal value as people who are made in his image. And so I'm thankful for how uh, Rebecca talks about that in her book. In addition, we have another article by Katie McCoy, and it's titled, What is a Woman? God's Intent for Sex and Gender. And this came out during the time when I think a documentary was coming out about what is a woman, and these questions were swirling about on social media. And so Katie looks at what God's Word teaches, looks at what various scholars have said, and she especially writes this article with care in the midst of an age of such gender confusion. And she talks about how the Bible shows that our biology and our gender are inextricably linked, that they go hand in hand, even when we are conflicted by our feelings. And she ends up plainly stating, she says, a woman, for her definition, a woman is a biologically female human being. And then she goes on to offer some counsel as to what to do if your physical body and the inner sense of gender don't align. And she says, the purpose for our sex and gender, the purpose for which we were made, will never be discovered from knowing ourselves, but in knowing the God who made us for himself. Ultimately, it's grounded in his authority and his purposes. And I I appreciate that article, especially because we we are surrounded by so much confusion. And as believers, we need to be those who seek the Lord and His Word for wisdom and how to understand these things and for the truth and grace to share these things to a world in such desperate need. So Hannah, thank you for that rundown on the Equal Rights Amendment. And of course, at the ERLC, we want to help clarify things. Of course, advocate for truth in the public square, be salt and light, and clarify when there is misunderstanding or misinformation or things that are just downright confusing, which for me is the normal state of affairs when it comes to (laughs) public policy and things coming out of Washington because it is not my forte. My brain does not work like that. (laughs) So speaking of that, things coming out of Washington, of course, this goes beyond Washington, but you and our colleague, Caden, worked really hard on something that we just released, and it's called the ERLC 2023 State Policy Review. And it's the first time we've done this in a while. What it does is show how, yes, things happen in Washington at the national, federal level, but really important things happen at the state level when it comes to policy and legislation. And we would encourage believers to be involved, to get to know what's going on in their communities and their state. And so for people like me, I need help to be encouraged to do that, and I need guidance. And this is what you've provided. So will you talk to us a little bit about what this policy review is? Yeah. And so just as you're saying, I mean, things certainly, we often think of Washington, D.C. as the main place that policy and these kinds of decisions are happening. Um, And it certainly is, is important. I mean, the ERLC primarily works on federal level issues. But at the same time, we cannot ignore what's going on in the states, especially as you know, we're in an era of divided government. And even when it was prior to this Congress, when Democrats had control of both the House, Senate, and presidency, they had such slim majorities that only only small things for the most part are able to get done. So for many of the issues we work on in those buckets of life, religious liberty, marriage and family, human dignity, so often those issues have greater potential to actually have progress made on them at the state level than we do here at the federal level. 
And so what we wanted to do was go through and kind of give a high level view of some of the debates that are going on at the states in terms of these issues. And so this is not by any means an exhaustive list of all of the state policies that that are potentially good or bad, um, but just really a sampling and something that Baptists can take a look at and say, hey, I wonder what's going on in my state. Or um, lawmakers could look at and say, oh, this is really interesting that this state is doing that. Maybe we could do something similar in our state. Um, And so we want to highlight a lot of the work that many of our Baptist counterparts at the states with our state conventions, the work that they have already been doing to push forward these initiatives at the state level, um, and just highlight some exciting things that are happening, but also some concerning things we want to push back on as well. And in this state policy review, you and Caden have them listed under the four buckets the issue areas that we focus on that is our mission as the ERLC, as it's been given to us by the Southern Baptist Convention, the messengers, and that's religious liberty, human dignity, sanctity of human life, and marriage and family. So as a listener, if you click on the show notes and you pull up this document, you can scroll through and you'll see the headings like family and marriage. And then you'll see some subheadings about key debate areas. So for instance, support pro-family policy in a post-Roe world. And then you will see examples of some bills that are on the table, whether those are for that or against that. And then at the very bottom, you'll see how Southern Baptists have spoken to these issues, which I also thought was very helpful. So it's not necessarily a document that you have to read every single word, but if you are curious about these various areas and or just want to learn how how you can play a part in some of these things. Like, for instance, one of the areas you highlight is supporting adoption and foster care policies. And that just makes me aware that in my area, it's important that I support adoption and foster care policies or adoption and foster care ministries, et cetera. So I thought it was eye-opening and helpful. And I'm so thankful for all of the hard work that y'all put into this. Thanks. I I really hope that it can be a great resource and Um, Just as you're saying, I think we have a real opportunity to get involved at the state level and, you know, you can at any time, and I think you should, call your member of Congress or your senator here in D.C. and let them know you support a certain bill or oppose it or whatever. I think it's great for us to be involved that way, you know, but they're going to receive hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of calls and messages about, you know, a particular bill or vote. But at the state level, you know, you can do that same thing. You can you can call your state legislators and you can let them know that you want them to support these policies or oppose these policies. And, you know, they represent such a smaller set of people and your your call, your message can often carry a, a heavier weight because they're hearing from fewer people. Um, so I think it's really important to know what's going on at the state level and to get involved there. Well, Hannah, thanks again for joining us and giving us a rundown on these things that are often so hard to understand. And thank you for your hard work. And Caden, here's a shout out to you too. I guess I'll find out if my colleagues listen to the ERLC podcast based on whether or not they know that I give them a shout out. So we'll see if Caden listens. Uh, But before we go, Hannah, it is March Madness time, which is the only time generally that I watch basketball. Uh, I love March Madness. Yeah, I lo- you too. I love the snacks. Mm-hmm. I love just the fun. Usually in the office, we've got the TVs turned on. Um, are you filling out a bracket this year? And who did you have going all the way? Yeah, so I did. I, I feel similarly. 
my like, you know, like ESPN, like username you have to, you have to create is like just here for the snacks, like one or something, you know? And so, um, yeah, I feel similarly, I don't know anything really about who's supposed to be good and who's not. Um, but I do think it's fun to fill out a bracket. So I, I filled one out for our URLC tournament and, um, I don't know if tournament's the right word. Our URLC bracket, I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, Just anyways, and I had the University of Alabama going all the way, so I'll give a roll tide to uh, to Caden as well. And um, I don't really know why I picked them. They were listed as a number one, so I felt like that was a good option. And I recently have become an Alabama football fan. Um, because my my best friend Hope here is a is a big fan, and so she's converted me. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheer for them. I guess my my real heart is with the University of Memphis Tigers, and they made the tournament. So I'm gonna be cheering them on, but I don't have them going all the way. Okay, okay. Well, Hannah, I'm I'm devastated that you're becoming an Alabama fan. That just is <laughs> not okay. <laughs> Nobody should be an Alabama fan. I, it's funny that you're just here for the snacks. So I feel like they gave me a generated name, computer generated name, because I don't think it was mine last year, but it's Lady Lunch Captain 1. So I, which I feel like I used to be a little bit of the lunch captain at work. So I might just keep that because really I'm just here for the snacks anyway. So Mm -hmm. I don't know who I have going all the way. I will not pick Alabama, though I've heard they're good. I'll pick somebody. I need to just do my work. Usually I just go by team colors or what place I like or something like that. So here for all the March Madness fun, we'll find out who wins. Usually it's somebody who knows absolutely nothing about the game and that's okay with me. Maybe it'll be us. Maybe it'll be us. So stay tuned to find out who wins our bracket challenge this year. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production is provided by Owens Productions. It is edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week with more content. 